No, but it's a joy to be here. It's a joy to get to know Rob and Jessica over the last couple of years. Uh, we've been praying for this church and rejoicing with this church at over all the transitions that have happened and how smooth uh, they've gone. And so it's a joy uh, to be with you all. If you have your Bibles, you could open up to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 14 to 21. And the title of this message is Call Out to God for His Power. Well, for better or worse, IKEA has revolutionized home furnishings. And no, I'm not talking about the fact that you can eat meatballs while you shop for furniture, as good as that is. But before IKEA, you would never really dream of building your own furniture. Maybe you didn't have the skills, maybe you didn't have the time, the materials, whatever it is. <laughs> Ephesians 3. Yep. But now with IKEA, they've revolutionized everything because they've designed all their furniture around the Allen wrench. That's that little L-shaped thing that you get in about every piece of IKEA furniture you buy, and you're always kind of twirling that thing around to get your furniture to come together. And you can do things now that you never thought were possible. You can build a bookcase. You can build a bed. You can build a couch. You can build an entertainment center. Now, without that key, building all of those things becomes frustrating and virtually impossible. Sometimes with that little thing, it becomes, it's still frustrating and virtually impossible. But with that key, unlimited possibilities are unlocked. Right? You can do things that you never thought you could do before. Well, in a similar way for the Christian, God's power is a key that will open up almost limitless possibilities for you in your walk with Christ. Without God's power, you'll find that the Christian life is frustrating and virtually impossible. But with God's power, you can do things that you never thought were possible. Sins can be overcome. You can no longer be dominated by fear, anxiety, or insecurity. You can no longer be dominated by fear. You could boldly proclaim Christ. You can love people the way that Christ has loved you, even if they don't love you in return. All of those things and more are possible with God's power. Now, normally when we think about the power of God, we think about God's power in creation, right? That he can create everything out of nothing. Or sometimes we think about God's power in salvation, that he can take someone who is a sinner and hated God and transform them into somebody that loves God and becomes like God. But the power that Paul's talking about in these verses is that same power, but how that power is used to make you more like Christ. And so before we read this text and pray, I want you to take a minute and think about one area of your life that you really want God to change. Maybe it's a sin that seems impossible to overcome. Maybe you've been racked with anxiety or lust, and you're just not having the victory that you want. Maybe it's a character trait that you know that you need. Maybe if you think back over it this week, you think, why did I get so impatient with my wife? Or why did I get so frustrated at my kids? Take a minute to just think about what's that one area that comes to mind immediately where I need God's help to change this. Then we'll read this text and pray. So take a minute just to think. What's that one area where you really want God to change you? Maybe even write it down before we look at this text. So this text is about how God can grow you in that area. 
this text is actually about how God can grow you beyond even your wildest imagination of some of the areas of your life that you think maybe God can't grow you. He can make you more like him in ways that are even beyond your imagination. So let's read Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, and then we'll pray. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is a text that's amazing. I mean, this is a text that we could pray every single day uh, because we need your power every day. We need your power so that we would change, so that we would become more like you. Lord, forgive us for those areas of our life that we're just not seeing growth, that maybe we think we just can't grow in those areas. Lord, remind us that your power can radically change us. It radically changed us already when you saved us, and it will radically change us every single day to become more and more like you, because it glorifies you when your church looks like you. And so, Lord, speak to us, we pray. We want to hear from you through this text. So fill us with your spirit so that we would listen well to what you have to say to us. Cause us to rejoice at this offer that is given to us that we can call out to you for your power and that you love to give your power so that your people become more like you. So work in us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So call out to God for his power. First, call out to God for his power so that you can experience Christ. Look at verse verse 14, how he starts this prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So an asking for this power starts with humility, right? Right away, Paul is starting with a humble acknowledgement that he desperately needs God's power, right? The way he says it, he could just say, I'm praying for you, those kind of, what, what does he say? He says, I bow my knees before the Father, This emphasizes that we have a great need of God's power, that we're desperate for it. It also emphasizes the fact that God has power to give to us, that he is the great provider of the things that we need. And so bow your knees before him because you need his power. Next, bow your knees before him because of what he's already done. This verse starts with, for this reason. And Paul's really picking up on a thought that he started at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1 of chapter 3, where he says, for this reason. And he's really backing up everything that he said so far in Ephesians 1 and 2. So this prayer is coming out as a result of the things that he's already said in Ephesians 1 and 2. Well, what did he say in Ephesians 1 and 2? 
Well, in Ephesians 1, it talked about that God chose you before the foundation of the world and planned your adoption and redemption through the blood of his son. So for this reason, pray this prayer. In Ephesians 2, it talks about that you were dead and God made you alive. You used to live for your lusts and now you live for him. All of this because of his kindness and grace, not to mention his power. Then it talks about in Ephesians 2 that he incorporated you into his body, that you're now a part of his church. Look at Ephesians 2.22, really the last main thought that leads up to this prayer. Ephesians 2.22. It says, In whom, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You are being built together as a church into the dwelling place of God. So for this reason, I'm praying this prayer. Because you're a dwelling place of God, I want you to be like God. When people look at the church, I want them to see God. That's why he's praying this prayer. So bow your knees before him because of what he's already done. And then bow your knees before him because of who he is. Back in Ephesians 3.15, it describes the Father this way. It says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So he is the creator of all things. Every family in heaven and on earth. All things were created by him. So for this reason also bow your knees before the Father. Not only that, he's sovereign over all things. It says every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from him. Now when it says that, it doesn't mean that he just picked your name, like you're going to be Rob and Jessica and you're going to be Bill and Sandy. No, it means that he's charted out the course of your entire existence. Right? You think about Old Testament names, they sort of worked that way. right? The name Adam in the Old Testament, does anyone know what the name Adam means in Hebrew? Yeah, it means earth or man, right? So kind of Adam was sort of the first man, so God named him man, that he would represent man. So very literal on the part of God to name him Adam. How about Jacob? Jacob, anyone know what that name means? Yeah, deceitful or heel grabber. Again, very literal on the part of God, but that name represents who Jacob was, that he was someone who would try to get something that didn't belong to him. Or think of a better New Testament example, Matthew 1.21, You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means salvation. And so that's what he's talking about. When he says that every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from him, it means he's charted out the course of every single thing in existence. So for that reason, you should bow your knees before him. And as you acknowledge your desperate need for God's power, the thing you're going to do in this prayer is ask for the power that comes from him alone. Look at verse 16. Here's the heart of the prayer, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner Man, what do you need? What do you need from God? You need to be strengthened. You need strength. 
And the implication of that is you don't have that strength in yourself. That you need somebody to give you something that you don't have. What is it that you need? Power, or your translation might say might, right? Strength, power, that is what you need. What kind of power does God have? We'll turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 18, Ephesians 1, 18. Here's a description of the power that you're asking for in this prayer, a description of the power that's available to you. Ephesians 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all." That is the power that's available to you. The power that raised Christ from the dead. The power that put him above every single thing. The power that put everything else under him is available to you for your life so that you would have a strength that you don't have on your own. And all you have to do is humbly ask and God will give you this power. Back in Ephesians 3, it says that he would grant this power to you according to the riches of his glory. What does that mean? It means that he has ample power to give. He's not going to run out of power. And he actually wants to give it to you so that he can glorify himself as he does. Where is this, spirit gonna, where is this power going to come from? Well, it's going to come through his spirit. The Spirit is the one that's going to bring this power into your life. He talks about that in Ephesians 5, right? Be filled with the Spirit, and then you're going to be able to do all the things it talks about there. Where is this power going to work? It says at the end of verse 16, in the inner person. So this is not outer person power. This, these aren't PEDs. They're not going to help you, you know, become like Barry Bonds and hit a bunch of home runs. No, this is power for the inner you. The true you, the you that battles sin, that you that wants to live a life that is pleasing to God. That's where that power is going to work. And so humbly ask for the power that comes from him alone. And then if we look at the beginning of verse 17, humbly anticipate God's power coming through Christ working powerfully in you. Look at verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is sort of a parallel thought to what he just said in verse 16, right? You're going to be strengthened with power in the inner man. Or in other words, Christ is going to dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 17 is what the experience of verse 16 is going to feel like or look like in your life. Christ is going to dwell in your heart. 
Now, Christ is already in your heart, right? When you were saved, Christ was in your heart. But he's going to continue his permanent residence in your heart. He's going to make your heart look more and more like his home. That's the idea of the word dwelling. Think about this, right? You buy a new house or maybe you get a new apartment and you move in, right? The only, it's yours, right? That apartment's yours, that house is yours. But when you first move in, maybe the only things you have in your house are a mattress on the floor and ramen in the cupboard, right? It's yours, you own it, but that house doesn't look like you. But over the course of time, you make it yours, right? You decorate, you get some furniture, maybe from Ikea. You put up your Justin Bieber poster, your Neil Diamond poster, whatever it is you're into. And over the course of time, that house becomes to look like you. Well, really, it's the same way when Christ saves you. When he saves you, you're his. But there are a lot of things in your life that don't look like him, right? You know, that... When he comes into your life, he's going to have to rearrange some things, right? The Neil Diamond poster, the Justin Bieber poster, those are going to have to come down, right? And, you know, new posters are going to have to go up. I don't know who it is. Whoever you like, Martin Luther, Chuck Smith, whatever you want, that poster is going to have to go up. But over the course of time, Christ is going to rearrange your heart so that it doesn't look like you anymore. It looks like him. That's what he does. And where does he do this work in verse 17? In your hearts. So notice Christ's first order of business is not to change the outside, right? He wants to change the inside because the outside is going to change if the inside changes. So what does he want to change? He wants to change the way that you think about things, the way that you feel about things, what motivates you, why you do what you do. He's going to change your thinking and he's going to change your motives. He wants to change you from the inside out. He's going to shepherd you. Not just kind of stop doing this, start doing this, look good on the outside, but no, he wants to change who you really are on the inside. And do you ever notice that Christ often does this by putting you in the exact same situation over and over again until you start asking those questions about why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Think about this. You know, what do you, most people do when they get their first job? Well, how did that job usually end? Like they quit, right? Because you get a first job, you're not used to it, you've never worked before, you don't like someone telling you what to do, so you think that the job's the problem, the boss is the problem, and so you quit. And you say, okay, well, this next time around, I'm going to find a better job, or maybe I'm going to be a little more patient, and things are going to go fine. What happens in the second job? Maybe a bad boss again. You think, man, these, I just keep running into bad bosses, and so you quit again. And then you get another job. And over the course of time, you start to think, well, maybe my boss isn't the problem. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I don't like being told what to do. Maybe I don't like someone having charge over me. Or maybe I'm just lazy, and I don't want to work. And the way that you think about that job starts changing. You're not thinking like, oh, well, it's my boss's fault, it's the job's fault. You start to think, well, what is wrong with me? Why do I have such a hard time in each job? And that's what Christ will do. He'll put you in those same situations over and over again until you start addressing what's on the inside. That's what this verse is talking about, that God will give you power, and that power is going to be felt in Christ starting to rearrange the things in your How's he going to do this in verse 17? He's going to do it through 
faith. This is how Christ makes your heart into his home, through faith, through trust, through dependence. He's going to gain access to other areas of your life as you learn to trust him and depend on him more. You know, I'm sure if you own a home, there are some rooms in your house where you would love someone to come in and redecorate. Like, you'd welcome it. For the longest time, our master bathroom was like that. We're like, please, somebody come in, just gut this whole thing, give us something much better. We welcome it, we want it. But then there may be other rooms in your house where you don't even want someone to look in that room. Like, stay out of there, doors closed, no one is allowed to open that door. Sometimes that's how our lives can be. There are certain aspects of our life where we want Christ to come in and change us. Like, I don't want to be selfish anymore. I don't want to be impatient anymore. I don't want to be anxious anymore. Christ, come in, totally rearrange that area of my life for your glory. But then there might be some other areas of our life where we're not really sure we want Christ to come in and change that area of our life. Maybe I like lust, or I like certain sins, and I don't really want Christ to come in. But as you grow in your trust and dependence on him, as you trust that the work that he's going to do is going to be better, that's how he begins to work in all areas of your life. And so God will give you his power and you will start to experience Christ's shepherding work in your life. Now, it may not always be enjoyable because that's hard work when Christ gets into areas of your life that you may not even want to change, but it's very much worth it. So think back to that area of your life that I asked you about at the beginning of this message. What is that place where you want God to work? What sin seems impossible to overcome? Or what fruit of the Spirit seems impossible to cultivate? Well, do you want to experience Christ's shepherding work in that area? Then ask for God's power. Do you want to see your heart to begin to look like Christ's home? then call out to God for his power. And pay attention in the weeks and months ahead. Am I being put in the same situation over and over again? And is this Christ's way of telling me this is an area of my life that he wants to change? All right, so what is it that you need power for? We're asking God for his power And how is it that Christ wants to change your heart to look more like his? Do you need power to do stuff, to obey his commands? Well, of course you do. But what happens first? What happens before anything else? What's this power going to do before it does anything else? And it's that it's going to open your eyes to see the love of Christ. Christ wants to stretch your mind so that you can understand his love. And so second, call out to God for his power so he can astound you with Christ's love. Look at verse 17 again. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Christ, God wants to give you power so that you can understand the love of Christ. 
Now you understand God's love already a little bit, right? It says that you are being rooted and grounded in love. He planted you in his love when he saved you. His love is the foundation of your life. But look at verse 18. It says that you may be able to comprehend. So what do you need? Power. Why do you need it? So that you can comprehend the love of Christ. Again, this is a prayer for strength, that you may have strength to comprehend, that you need a strength to comprehend the love of Christ. And that's an amazing thing. Even as a believer, you need God's power to understand the love of Christ. You can't understand the love of Christ apart from God giving you his power. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You can't understand the love of Christ apart from God's power. The same power that created all things out of nothing, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is necessary to understand the love of Christ. Why? Because it's huge. Right? He talks about the height and the breadth and the length and all of these things. The love is so big that you don't have power in and of yourself to understand it, to comprehend it. You need God's power to understand Christ's love. Paul's been explaining Christ's love all the way through chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. And he ends that section by saying, basically, you don't get this, but you need to get this. You're going to spend the rest of your life trying to understand this, and so I'm going to pray this prayer that God would give you power so that you can understand this uncomprehensible love that Christ has shown you. And there are two aspects that he highlights in these verses about why this love is uncomprehensible. The first is because of its magnitude, right? Where he says to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth. This involves all the different facets and degrees and expressions of his love. And you deepen in your understanding of the magnitude of Christ's love as you see all the different aspects of your life. As you think about your sinfulness, it highlights the magnitude of the love of God. And not just your sinfulness in the past. When you think about your sinfulness now, that you saved me, God, even when you knew I would still struggle with this sin. <clears throat> when I would count your grace as cheap in this area of my life, you still love me, and it magnifies the love of Christ. Or when you think about just how holy God is. When he saved you, you had an idea of how holy he is, but as you grow and as you walk through the course of your Christian life, you see even more every day how holy God is. And it magnifies the love of Christ that he would save you. Or you think about the humility of Christ becoming a man and dying a death in your place. And as your mind even tries to rest, like understand how that happens, it magnifies the love of Christ. Or you think about how selflessly Christ serves you every single day of your life, how he shepherds you through all the different things that you experience. And all of these things magnify the love of Christ. And so this prayer is literally a prayer that your mind would be stretched so that you could understand more and more just how amazing Christ's love is. Right? You can picture your mind as like a cup, 
right? And God wants to show you all about Christ's love. And so he's going to pour that into this cup. Well, what happens? The cup's full, and there's still a lot more of Christ's love that he wants to show you. So in, in a sense, this prayer is, I want to give you a bigger cup so that you can understand more and more and more about Christ's love. So don't be satisfied with the Dixie cup of Christ's love, right? Ask God, give me the big gulp. Give me that thing that's like illegal in New York City now, the 44 ounces of soda, whatever it is. Give me the biggest cup you got. Give me a bucket because I want to understand the love of Christ more and more my entire life. And he'll do that. This is a prayer that you can pray every single day, a prayer that God can answer every single day and you still won't understand the love of Christ. But what a great prayer to pray every single day because you could spend the rest of your life understanding the love of Christ more and more. The magnitude of it is infinite. So there's a magnitude to it, the breadth and length and height and depth. But there's also the experience of it. Look how he says this in verse 19. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So how can you know something that surpasses knowledge? So do you know Christ's love or do you not know Christ's love? Yes, right? You do. You know it, but you also don't know it. You'll never reach the end of it, not only because it's so big, but because you're going to experience it every single day again and again for the rest of your life. Think of it this way if you're married. You know, do you know your spouse? It's like, yes. Do you know your spouse the same way you did 10 years ago? I hope not, right? I hope that you know your spouse now better than you knew your spouse 10 years ago, right? So do you know them in the exact same way that you did before? No. Your experience with your spouse has caused you to grow in your knowledge, and hopefully that's been a good thing over the course of the last 10 years. But you have a deeper appreciation every day that you're married for who your spouse is. Well, in the same way, do you know Christ today? Yes. Do you know Christ the same way that you did when you first got saved? Again, I hope not. I hope that your knowledge of him has only grown every single day over the course of your life as a believer. My wife and I went to a wedding one time, and the best man gave a toast. And at the end of his toast, he said to the bride and groom, I hope today is the day that you love each other the least. And it kind of sounds funny when you first hear it, but when you think about it, what is he saying? He's saying, I only want your love to grow every single day from this point on so that when you look back at your wedding day, it's actually the day that you loved each other the least. And I think that should be true of our lives. I think the day that we got saved, hopefully, is the day that we loved Christ the least. Because every day over the course of our life, our appreciation has only grown and our experience of his love has only increased every single day so that when we look back to that day that we got saved, we could say, I love Christ the least on that day. That's what he's talking about, that you can know this love, that you need power to know this love because every single day your experience of it is just going to grow and grow and grow. You know Christ's love now, but you will know it so much more as he continues to shepherd you through life. As you see him guard you from temptation after temptation that would have shipwrecked your faith, you love him more and you understand his love more. 
When, he, when you know that he makes sure that every single time you have a need, he's gonna, that he provides it, you see his love more and more. That when you lose a loved one, that he sustains you through that, you see his love more and more. And if you call out to God for his power, your experience of Christ's love can, will only deepen and deepen throughout the course of the rest of your life, every single day for the rest of your life. God wants to astound you with the love of Christ. God wants to give you power to understand and comprehend the love of Christ. So pray for his power. Ask for his power so that this can be your experience through the rest of your life, growing in your knowledge of the love of Christ. If you feel dry or his love feels stale, bow your knees before the Father and ask for his power and he will give it to you. And he will astound you with the love of Christ. Or if you don't know, yet know Christ's love, if you've never experienced a love that will never get dry and never grow stale, then bow your knees before the Father and ask for his power to open your eyes to understand the love of Christ. So call out to God for his power to be astounded with the love of Christ. Third, call out to God for his power so that you can live like Christ. So what happens when you begin to comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ? Well, your life begins to change. Again, think of that one area where you want to grow. There are facets of Christ's love that God wants to give you power to comprehend so that that area of your life starts to change. That's the heart of this, the, really the end goal of this prayer in verse 19. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The idea of filling is that he wants your life to look different, right? That your life is going to be filled by something else. The picture of filling is not so much that you have some empty space and you need it filled. No, the idea of filling is that you need something else to characterize your life, right? Think about Ephesians 5.18 again. When he says that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, is he saying you don't have the Holy Spirit and you need the Holy Spirit? Like, no, he's saying that the Holy Spirit would characterize your life more and more and more. So he's saying he wants your life, the goal of this prayer is that your life would be characterized by something different. So what is it? What does he want your life to be characterized by? At the end of verse 19, the fullness of God. The things that make God God would start to characterize you. That when people look at you, the things that they would see are not the characteristics of yourself, but they're the characteristics of God. That's the end goal of this prayer, that you would actually be start to become, in your character, like the one who saved you, like Christ himself. So what is that going to look like? Well, it's going to look a lot like Ephesians 4 through 6. Right? Paul talks about in the last half of Ephesians that you would walk in a manner worthy in 4.1, that you would no longer walk like you used to in 4.17, in 5.1, that you would be imitators of God and walk in love. Chapter 6, that all of your relationships would be changed. But notice, he doesn't give any of those commands until he prays 
this prayer. Ephesians 1 to 3 has one command. It's back in chapter 2. Basically, remember what you used to be like. Ephesians 4 through 6 has 40 commands, but not one of those commands until after this prayer. Because apart from the power provided in this prayer, you can't do Ephesians 4 through 6. If you try to do it without God's power, it's going to be like trying to build that Ikea furniture without that little wrench. It's going to be frustrating and virtually impossible. And I'm sure all of us have experienced that, right? Trying to grow in Christ without God's help. It's frustrating. And so Paul says, pray this prayer before you try to do what he asks you to do in Ephesians 4 through 6. Because apart from asking God for his power, your life will not change. You may want it to change. You may even work really hard for it to change, but it's not going to change unless you have God's power. So call out to God for his power because it will change your life. So what do you want to change? What part of your life do you want to reflect the fullness of God? Do you want joy even though life hasn't gone exactly how you planned? Do you want to overcome anger and be able to love your spouse, even an unbelieving spouse? Or do you want to boldly proclaim Christ even though other people may mock you or ridicule you? Then ask God for his power, and he will start to change those areas of your life. And it's amazing that he changes those areas of your life again by opening your mind to understand the love of Christ. I mean, what a Savior we have. It's like the way I'm going to shepherd you throughout the course of your life, I want you to become like me, and I will make you like me. And the way that I'm going to do that is not by kind of beating you over the head time after time when you fail. No, the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to give you power so that you can understand more and more just the astounding degree to which Christ loves you. And that's going to start to change you. That's the Savior we have. That can be the experience of your Christian life. Praying this prayer and over and over again being just astounded with the love of Christ so that your life begins to change. Why does he do this as we close in these last two verses? Because he gets the glory. God wants to glorify himself by making you more like Christ. In these last two verses, look at this, call out to God for his power so that you can glorify him through Christ. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so ask for this power so that God would be glorified. Look how God, Paul describes it in verse 20. To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. So again, he's able, right? It speaks to his power again. He has the power to do this, to answer this prayer that was just prayed. In fact, it says that he has far more abundant power to do this, right? There's no power shortage here. Right? He has all the power necessary to accomplish this prayer in the life of his people. It says that he has far more abundant power than we could ask or even think. Right? He's going to do more than we ask. And so it should go without saying that we should be asking him for a lot of stuff. <laughs> we should be asking him to grow us in a lot of different ways. That he has more than we can ask or think. 
Why would he add that, right? He has more power than we could ask or even think. Why add that? Well, because there are things we know about God that we would not even, that we can think, but that we wouldn't ask, right? Let's say we have this bill and we don't know where the money's going to come from. It's a bill for $100. And so what do we ask God for? It's like, well, Lord, would you give us the money so that we can pay this bill? What do we think in the back of our minds? It's like, he could put a million dollars in my mailbox tomorrow, right? And so Paul is saying, not only can he do more than you ask, he can actually do more than those things you think that you don't even ask for. That's how powerful God is to answer this prayer. And what do you think is in Paul's mind when he's saying this, that he, has, he can do far more abundant than we can ask or think? Is he talking about that he can give you a Ferrari, he can give you beyond a Ferrari? No, he's talking about what he just said, that he's praying this prayer that you would become more like God. And if you pray that prayer, he can do far more abundantly than you ask or even think. The prayers that God wants to answer far more abundantly beyond all that you ask or think are prayers that, Lord, make me like you. Those are the prayers that he does far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Prayers where we want our lives to glorify him. We want ourselves, our hearts, to look like Christ's heart. He loves to answer those prayers. And he loves to do it beyond what we ask or even think. And so God loves to and has the power to not only answer our prayers, but do far more abundantly than we ask or think. He loves to do that. And how does he do it? He gives us power, right? This power then becomes the power that's working within us. That power that we ask for starts to work in us, and God is glorified. In verse 21, it says, To him, to this one who can do these kinds of things, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. God is glorified by how he works powerfully in his church. He wants this, you to pray this prayer because he wants to be glorified through the church looking and acting more like him. He wants you to be patient. He wants you to be gracious. He wants you to be boldly proclaiming Christ, even to those that would mock you. And when you ask him to do those things, he loves to answer those prayers because he wants his church to look like him. He wants to be glorified in the church. And it also says that he's glorified in Christ Jesus. He loves to show people what Christ can do through his church because Christ is glorified. When people love people that don't deserve it, Christ is glorified. And so again, God wants to answer this prayer because he wants Christ to receive glory. He wants to show him for how glorious he is, that he radically changes people so that they don't live like the people they used to be, but they live like him. And so call out to God for his power. What are those changes that you wrote down at the beginning of this message? Where do you want to see God's power at work in your life? And are you not seeing those things because maybe you haven't asked for God's help? that you've been trying to do these things in your own strength and you found your life frustrating, like trying to put together the Ikea furniture without the wrench. Instead, ask for God's power and he will enable you to become more like him. And he'll do it by stretching your mind to understand and comprehend the immeasurable love of Christ. This is the Christian life with the power of God. 
power to experience Christ's shepherding work in your heart, power to astound you with the love of Christ, power to make you more like Christ, and power to glorify him by doing it more than you could even imagine. Lord, this is an amazing prayer. This is an amazing promise, really, that if we pray this prayer, you will be happy to do far more abundantly than even we ask or think. You want us to become more like you. You want your church to become more and more characterized by your character. And so, Lord, we do pray this prayer. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with the fullness of God and do that by giving us your power so that we would experience Christ shepherding work in our hearts. Do that so that we would be astounded with the love of Christ. And as you do that, that you would change us so that our lives would become more like your life. And Lord, as you do that, I pray that you would be glorified, that people would see you when they look at us, that they would glorify you, that they would glorify Christ, that they would see that Christ can radically change people so that they don't live for themselves anymore, but they live for you and they live for the sake of others. You do this work. This is the work that you love to do in your church. So pray that we would be a people that always is calling out to you for your power so that we would change and that we would become more like you. And we look forward to you answering those prayers. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.